are the possibilities that lie out in front of us. The excitement of all that could be, all the goals that we've set for ourselves and hopefully for our souls as we do our best to serve and honor God in 2022, hopefully better than we did the year before. But also one of the blessings is being able to look ahead as Christians and realize that with all of the changes and all of the things that are unexpected and still unknown, we still serve the same God. The Bible says God hasn't changed and he cannot. Malachi three and verse six, his will has not changed. And his word has not changed. We can bank on those things being the same, regardless of whatever else may change around us or may be unknown. Paul said that there is one faith, Ephesians 4 and verse 5. And then in Jude 3, we're told that that one faith was once for all time delivered for the saints. That is the New Testament doctrine, the system by which we can be justified and saved. It was given in the first century one way and it remains the same. It's constant and it doesn't change. We not only have in our New Testaments recorded that the faith was once for all delivered, but we also have an occasion of when it was first delivered. In Acts chapter 2, we read about the first occasion when the gospel was proclaimed and individuals were able to respond to it in order to be saved. You remember in Acts 1 and verse 8, Jesus told the disciples that they would be equipped by God. They would receive power from on high as the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And then they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that's exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit descended on the twelve and they were able to stand up and proclaim in languages they hadn't previously studied that Jesus is Christ. For all of their effort and all of the miraculous ability that was theirs, they were not embraced or adored. They were questioned in verse 12 of Acts 2 and then mocked in verse 13. And Peter stood up and used it as an occasion to point people in the right direction. He said what they were witnessing in Acts chapter 2 was really a fulfillment of prophecy. Acts 2, 17 through 21, he quotes Joel 2, 28 through 32. And he says, this is what the prophet Joel said. And then next, he indicted them for their mistreatment and their rejection of Jesus, citing Psalm 110, Psalm 16 and 2 Samuel 7 to say, That the rejection that you've displayed toward Jesus, his crucifixion, and ultimately his resurrection was prophesied in Israel's scriptures. What you have on your lap in Acts chapter 2 is not merely the first sermon that was preached, the first gospel sermon. But we also have Peter's marvelous conclusion in verse 36 and then the response of the people that follow. And for my half of the sermon, Acts 2, 36 through 41, what I want us to look at together is the faith that we proclaim. Because as we go forward in 2022, the best thing we can do is to look back at how the first century Christians served God and proclaimed Jesus because the same faith they proclaim is the one that we proclaim today. Number one, the faith that we proclaim revolves around a person and that person is Jesus Christ. The conclusion of Peter's sermon is in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly or for certain that God has made this same Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. What Peter was doing on this occasion, he was saying that the things that you are seeing done, us speaking in these languages that we haven't previously studied, it's not because we're drunk or we're disillusioned. It's because Jesus has equipped us to do what he said he would. In John 14 and verse 12, Jesus had told the apostles that the works that I do, you will do greater because I go to the father. And here it was. Here were the greater works as they were able to preach Jesus and proclaim him. And Peter says, this is the faith we proclaim. Christ is our all in all. Colossians 3 and verse 11. And the faith that we proclaim that we will in 2022 to our friends and our neighbors ultimately centers around one person. And that man is Jesus Christ. Would you notice throughout Acts chapter two how often and how masterfully Peter paints this picture of who Jesus is? Notice in verse 22, Jesus did miracles and signs among them as they knew 
In verse 23, he was crucified according to the predetermined plan of God. He was raised from the dead in Acts 2 and verse 24. And in verse 31 down through 33, he sits on the throne of David. And then in his conclusion, he's solidified as Lord and Christ. Peter says the faith that we proclaim ultimately centers around Jesus and the life that he lived. The way that he sacrificed himself and ultimately rose from the dead for our justification. You know, sometimes in sports, there's this talk about a franchise player. A franchise player is typically the best person on the team. And he or she, depending on the sport, is the individual that the franchise believes they can build the entire team around. Think basketball, Michael Jordan. Or baseball, Derek Jeter, hockey, Wayne Gretzky, or any of those sports where you say, this is the best person. But what Peter does in Acts chapter 2 is he shocks his listeners. He says God's franchise player, the one that he wants to build his team on, really the whole world and his kingdom around, is the crucified son of God, Jesus Christ. You might assume that Peter would be ashamed to do this, but he can do it. Because Jesus, as he preaches, is no longer crucified, but he's now crowned. He's king of kings and Lord of lords, Revelation 17, 14 and Revelation 19, 16. And he's the same Christ that we proclaim. The Jesus that we proclaim is both Lord and Christ. That means he's master, not just of our lives, but over the entire universe. And what Peter does in Acts 2 is not an anomaly. Throughout the book of Acts, their preaching is centered around this reality. Acts 5 and verse 42 says daily in the temple and from house to house, they cease not to teach and preach that Jesus was the Christ. It was Paul's custom when he went into the synagogue, Acts 17, 2 and 3, to open up the scriptures and show that this Jesus that I proclaim to you is Christ. Even in one on one encounters with Philip and the eunuch and no one else around, Philip opened up Isaiah 53, just like Chuck did this morning. And Acts 835 says from those passages, he preached to him, Jesus. What we want to do with our friends and neighbors in evangelism is not really to win arguments. It's not really to point out I'm right and you're wrong. It is to proclaim this message. But our message is not disjointed thoughts scattered abroad. It centers in one individual, one person. Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus as the Christ of God. Number two, the faith we proclaim includes a plan of salvation. What we have in Acts 2 is not just the story about who Jesus is. It's not just that Jesus is the Son of God. We also have how we're to respond to what Jesus has done. In verse 37, after Peter says Jesus is the Son of God, in verse 36, in verse 37, they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter tells them in verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, your children, and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Imagine being a Jew on that occasion and realizing that the Messiah that you had longed for, you'd read about him and studied your entire life, and then Peter says, God sent him and you killed him. Your thoughts may be just like theirs. Oh no, we've killed God's son. What is he going to do to us now? Heaven's response? He'll save you if you let him. We were alienated from God in our mind through wicked works, but he's reconciled us through the death of his son. Colossians 21 and 22. But Peter says, here is how you respond to the son of God. Notice in verse 38, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, repentance is preceded by belief, but belief isn't mentioned here because by now, after Peter has preached this sermon, And they've been stabbed to the heart in verse 37. They're convicted that Jesus is the son of God. All that's left for them to do is to turn and to allow their bodies to be immersed in water so that their sins might be forgiven. Throughout the New Testament, this is how you respond in order to be saved. 
Mark 16, 16 says he that believes and is baptized will be saved. First Peter 3:21 says baptism also now saves us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Don't you know that so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead to the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The faith that we proclaim doesn't just say, here is Jesus. It also says, now here's how you respond to him. You know, when these folks were baptized in Acts chapter 2, they weren't earning their salvation. They weren't saying to God, now that I've been baptized, I deserve it. But they were doing what Jesus has said they needed to do in order to respond faithfully to him. Sometimes people argue against baptism. And they may say things like, you know, really, all you have to do to be acceptable to God is just believe. It's just a mental thing in your mind. And maybe later on, if you want to, you can be baptized to signify what's already taken place. You've already been saved. And then you can go ahead and be baptized later. Or God's not really that concerned with whether or not people go through an act like baptism. But notice what Peter says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for in order to obtain the remission of sins, because it's in that act. That God washes away sins and not a moment before. It's in Acts twenty two sixteen where Saul of Tarsus says he was told by Ananias, why do you wait? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. But notice in Acts two and verse twenty one, Peter says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, Peter, how do you do that? He tells him in verse thirty eight, if you turn away from sin and allow your body to be immersed in water, God will forgive you. The faith that we will proclaim in 2022 has to include this aspect. How are individuals made right with God? Aren't you glad that Acts 2.38 is in the Bible? Imagine saying to Peter on that occasion, men and brethren, what shall we do? And having Peter say to you and to me, there's nothing you can do. You've sinned. You've ruined it. You've ruined it. You violated God's law and you're forever cut off from him. No, Peter says there is something that you can do. You can turn your life over to God. And you can allow God to operate on you and to cut away sin and give you a new heart. Paul calls it the operation of God in Colossians 2, 11 through 12. And that's what baptism is. Maybe you remember in 2010 when those 33 miners of Chile were stuck below the earth's surface for 68 days. They were trapped behind 770,000 tons of rock and they didn't know if they would ever see the light of day again. But up above them, there were rescuers working and cutting and removing things. And eventually they crafted a rescue shaft whereby these individuals could be extracted one by one. What do you think they thought when they came to the earth's surface and saw their loved ones who had, by the way, been camped out there for days waiting to see if they would be rescued, if they would be saved? Do you think any of them emerged from where they were trapped and said, why didn't you guys come earlier? Or why didn't you save us this way? Or do I really have to go through that little tube in order to be saved? You know what they thought? They thought the same thing you would think. I am so glad that while I was trapped down below with my life hanging in the balance, there were people up above me wanting to rescue me and save me. And don't you know the same thing should be true of us as we approach the plan of salvation? We shouldn't argue with it or fuss or fight about it. What we should say is that while I was trapped below in sin, I'm so glad That there was a God up above me who was working things out in such a way that he could rescue me and save me. Thanks be unto God for his inexpressible gift. Second Corinthians 915. That should be our response. Peter says in verse thirty nine, this promise is not just for the Jews. It's for you, your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. As we go out and evangelize this year and preach the good news about who Jesus is, one of the blessings for us is we will never look on the face of an individual who's not a candidate for it. Whether black or white, male or female, rich or poor, Peter says it's for you. 
Some people contemplate obeying the gospel and then they turn away. They say, I just can't do it. They believe that God wants to take from them and shackle them and make their lives miserable. But notice what Peter says in verse 38. God has one objective in salvation, and that is to give. And he wants to give the two things we need most pardon and his presence. He says the forgiveness of sins and then his abiding presence through the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants to do. And that's the faith that we proclaim. Number three, the faith that we proclaim. Accountability. In verse 40, he says, with many other words, did Peter encourage and exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked or this perverse generation. There were a bunch of people there in Acts chapter two. But what you see Peter saying is it comes down to an individual choice. Our whole world is surrounded by wickedness. First John five and verse 19. In the days of Noah, the thoughts and the intents of man's hearts were evil continually. Genesis six, five and six. But none of that really matters. We won't sink or swim spiritually based on how everybody else around us behaves. Ultimately, it will matter what you and I have done with Jesus. And Peter says in verse 40, think about yourself. Save yourselves from this crooked and this perverse generation. And part of our proclamation, the faith that we proclaim says, get eyeball to eyeball with people and say, listen, You need to make an individual decision so that you won't be forever lost. Groupthink is very popular right now in our society. Groupthink is this idea where we get together and people get together in groups and it discourages individual responsibility and creativity. And people make their decisions based on what everybody else around them is thinking. Peter says, don't you remember what groupthink did? It's what caused you to crucify Jesus in the first place. This mass parroting of what everybody else is saying. First one person said it and then another. And then Israel rung out in chorus, crucify him. Matthew 27, 21 through 22. Peter says, not this time. You have an opportunity. Think for yourself. Save yourself from this crooked and this perverse generation. Turn and do what you know to be right, because every one of us will give account of himself to God. Romans 14, 12. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone might receive the deeds done in his body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Second Corinthians five and verse 10. The faith we proclaim says God wants to save everybody in the world, but he wants to save you. I remember being on a mission trip in Ghana, West Africa in 2017, and we had preached and taught in this school for two weeks. And the last day we were there, at least working, was on a Sunday. And at the conclusion of the service, several of the young girls came forward and they were baptized in the Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. There was nothing unusual about that. People are baptized all the time. People obey the gospel on mission trips all the time. But what was was unique in this setting and on this occasion was typically in their culture before someone obeys the gospel at their age, 15, 16, 17. They're supposed to wait until the weekend and go home to their parents and make sure that they can get permission to part ways from the village religion and to do what's pleasing to their parents. But what those girls were doing, they weren't being unkind or disrespectful. They were saying, we don't need anybody's permission to love Jesus and respond to his grace. We will save ourselves as we turn our lives over to Jesus because they realize this is a part of the gospel. The faith that we proclaim says there's personal accountability. Nobody will stand in line for us. Jesus died for us as individuals, and we need to respond to him. And then in verse 41, the faith that we proclaim produces results. Century are divided. They don't know how many people were here on this first Pentecost. I've seen estimates as low as 55,000. Some say 200,000 and some say maybe there were a few million. But this is what we know. Those that gladly received his word in verse 41 were baptized in the same day. There were added unto them about 3000 souls, 3000 people on this Pentecost said, 
I believe Jesus is the son of God and I want to be baptized to have my sins washed away. And as we think about the faith we proclaim, the same thing's true for us. It produces results. People will respond to the gospel that we preach for good or for bad. It wasn't always positive for the apostles and it won't always be positive for us. We don't know what will happen if we proclaim the gospel when individuals will receive it or reject it. But we know what will happen if we don't. A friend of mine is in sales and I've talked to him. He's done pretty successful in it. And he's also a Christian. And I said, when you go doing door to door sales, how do you know if someone will respond or not? He says, I don't know. He says some people that ask a lot of questions and seem very interested eventually turn away and reject what I'm offering. And then others who seem nonchalant and very disengaged eventually buy in and accept. He said, here's the trick. The trick for me is to go from door to door and do my very best and not to allow the last interaction to influence the next one, because you just never know. This year, as Lehman Avenue covers Bowling Green and Warren County with the gospel, that's our challenge. Knowing that the gospel does produce results, Colossians 1.23, the first century Christians had covered the world with the gospel and our charge is the same. And we will meet some like these who gladly receive the word, who are immersed and who are forgiven. But first, we have to take it to them. Peter and his friends, the 11, they had no idea. They had no idea who would obey the gospel, who would turn away or that on this day they would inherit 3000 brothers and sisters in Christ. And neither do we. That one conversation, that one invitation. We never know what may happen. The faith that we proclaim is the same one that they did in the first century. It was a great start. But there's so much more in Acts chapter two. There's so much more about the faith, not only that we proclaim, but also about the faith that we practice. Review with me for just a moment. They continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. And great fear came upon them all and wonders and signs were done by the apostles in the midst of them. And they had all things in common and they that believed were together. They sold their possessions and their goods, and they gave to them all as any had need. And continuing daily in the temple and from house to house, they did eat their food with gladness and with simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's the second part of the section that Hiram and I are looking at together I want you to consider what happens between verse 41 and 42 as a place where a stake is driven. It is driven between what we get from Christ and what we can do for Christ. Sometimes in various disciplines they talk about the irreducible minimums. That what you can boil it all down to. We see a Jesus that's proclaimed and we see the response that was made to that proclamation and what we see next is what the church of the New Testament did. From the very beginning, they were not just a group that was, they were a group that was together doing the will of God. I want you to think about the fact that what we're aiming to do in this year based on the Christ that we believe in and that we have obeyed is that we want to build balanced believers In 2022 and beyond, it's interesting if we want to be, and I believe there is no greater objective than to be the church of the New Testament, then we have got to understand what the church of the New Testament was like. And to see that, all we need to do is to go to the very first words of the Holy Spirit preserved when the church began. And that's right here where we are in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And it seems that Luke boils it down to three irreducible minimums. 
And what I find interesting is they are, are the three same emphases that are implied or explicitly stated in the vision statement that our elders presented to us in 2020. You remember that it says the Lehman Avenue Church of Christ is seeking to be a growing, authentic family who is seeking to empower our whole community to please God and to go to heaven. Believe what you will see in that vision statement is the irreducible minimums that will help this church to grow. What we have got to be in order to be the church of the New Testament is to be a church whose faith is practiced. That is carried out of just a few hours of the week that is built on three components that the early church was comprised of from the very beginning. Built on the only foundation you can build on which is Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. Here are the three pillars upon which we can build our faith in Christ today. What is a faith in practice? May I suggest to you that a faith in practice is a faith that praises. We see that, don't we, in verse 42. I want you to think for a moment at the idea that the church was in the mind of God from the eternity before time. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9 through 11, we see that the church was the eternal purpose of God. And Jesus comes along on this earth and he talks about who he is. And based on the foundation of his deity, in Matthew 16, verse 18, he says, I'm going to build my church. And now we see that Peter has preached about the resurrected Lord. That not only is he the Son of God, but he's no longer dead, but he lives. And based upon the truth of that that we're going to act in faith, and our faith is going to practice. What you find them doing is emphasizing the will of God. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, they were devoted to doing the will of God. But what did the will of God comprise of? You'll notice that they were continuing in the teaching and in the fellowship and in the breaking of bread and of prayers. Here Luke is laying out for us that they were following God's pattern and design. They were focusing on the importance of what happened when they came together. And when they came together, they worshipped. They were interested in doing God's will, God's way, when it came to worship. And if we are going to have a faith that practices, we need to understand that it begins right here in these precious assembly times together. That God wants us to focus as well as we can on being a church that worships the way that he has laid out for us to do so. You know, when you think about the various emphases that we're trying to strike as the people of God here, it centers around being a people who worship God faithfully. You know, if you think about the singings that we've begun on Friday night throughout the year and the fourth Sunday singing emphasis that went on in 2021, it was centered around helping us to learn and grow in our singing to God. If we think about the fact that our young men are going to be preaching to us on the fifth Sunday of the month throughout this year, we're equipping them to grow in their ability to teach and to preach God's Word. It is our plans in 2022 to have times throughout the year in which we emphasize individual acts of worship and how we can do that better. We need to understand God's will and understand that God wants us to improve and be the best that we can be in our praise to God. We will never be in worship to God all that we want to be when we come before Him, but we should strive to do the most that we can to please Him. And when we decipher all of this, we realize that we want to be all things to all men. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 22. But we know what that does not mean. 
What it does not mean is that we can accommodate our worship to bow to the pressures and the beliefs of our society and our culture. We do what we can and we understand that within the worship of God, there are some things that are bendable or flexible. You realize it doesn't matter the age of the song. It doesn't matter if the song is written in four-part harmony or not. It doesn't matter if we have shaped notes with our songs or not. It doesn't matter how many of the verses that we sing or not. None of this is tied down in Scripture. When we have done all of those things, we have simply sung. But we understand a principle in God's Word is that when God specifies, we're not at liberty to generalize. And so as the people of God, we come together to give God our very best according to what He wants us to do. And we want to grow in that. Let me suggest this to you. A church which is dedicated together to putting their faith to practice by worshiping God is a church that is going to grow. When you look at what the Bible tells us about the church and about the assemblies together, it is God's will that we come together on the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2. And when we come together, we are to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. And we are to give God what He wants in the way that He wants. John chapter 4 and verse 24. When we look at the church at the very beginning that was built upon the Christ that was proclaimed... The first thing we see is that a faith that is in practice is a faith that prays. If this church will grow, we must grow in our worship to God. But I also want you to notice that a faith in practice is a faith that's active and a faith that is active in its participation. A a faith in practice participates. It's interesting to me that there are three characteristics that Luke lays out for us in the second part of our text in verse 42 through 47. He spends one word looking at and centering around the worship that they did. He's going to spend a verse summarizing what happens is built upon the foundation of Acts chapter 2. But he spends three verses from verse 43 to 46 telling us about what happened when the people of God became the people of God. The Christians were involved in each other's lives. If you notice from verse 43 to 46, the people of God were together. The worship that they did was carried out into their everyday lives, and they were involved in each other's lives. You'll notice that they were concerned about the needs that existed among them. That they were in awe together at the work that God was doing among them. That they wanted to be together. That they were a group that was united. And you see that. They seemed to grasp the principle that Jesus had taught as he had narrowed down his focus to his disciples in John 13, 35. And that is that if you want people to know that you belong to me, let them see the love that you have for one another. What can we do at Lehman Avenue to see that our faith is active through our participation together? We have got to be involved in each other's lives. It has got to be an emphasis that characterizes us. So to what end can we begin to achieve that? May I submit to you that our elders and elders before them for a long time have tried to designate what they show us as an emphasis of the importance of being together. Worship is powerful. And the things that we do in this hour and tonight are that which brings us to the throne of God and near to the heart of God. But it doesn't end at 10.30. And it doesn't end at 7 o'clock on Sunday night. The, the elders have given us two other opportunities 
where we can be together in a less formal setting to discuss God's Word together. It is a time of fellowship. It's a time for us to be together in our Bible class period. But you know, there's also an emphasis by way of the budget. There's an emphasis by way of the planning of the activities that says that the participation of our lives together is important through the events that are going to be on the calendar each and every year. And so you can look at a calendar of our events and you can see times where we can grow in our lives together. You think about it. There's the men's retreat, which is, by the way, this month, January 28th and 29th. There is a women's retreat in March. There's a family retreat in October. Time for us to get away from the building and to spend time together. There are fellowship meals which, at which we can spend time, not just with those that we feel closest to, but even stretching out and reaching out to those who we haven't had as many conversations with. We can build our lives together through those events. But we also look at the events that are put forward for us, for our young people, to build their relationship together. And of course, the adults that serve with this. And things like CYC and Lads to Leader and Bible Camp. These are all just a few of the opportunities that are emphasis of the importance of our being together and participation. You also think about the fact that we have the opportunity through the church family vision group that one of the main emphases of this congregation is on the church family being closer together. And so there are events that are being planned this year throughout the year to help us to know one another and to be in each other's lives. That's what the first church did. Their circumstances were different. They were away from their homes all across the world. They had come together. They were drawn together in their common faith that Jesus is Lord, the Christ, the Savior. And based on that, it built a solid foundation of relationships with one another. That's what God wants for the Lehman Avenue Christ in 2022 and beyond. He wants us to be a joint that supplies for the health of the body. He wants each individual part doing what we can. And through that we grow up into Him into all things who is the head, even Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 and 16. Wherefore we do the things that make for peace and things whereby we may edify or build up one another. Romans chapter 14 and verse 19. That's how we put our faith in practice. The early church so changed by the message of Jesus Christ, responded in that they said, out of the depths of our heart and out of the depths of our appreciation, we want to praise God together. We also want to live life together day by day. But there was a third element of their active faith. A faith that is active is a faith that proclaims. We've come back full circle, haven't we? Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. It says that they were having favor with all the people. They were praising God. There was a vertical emphasis. And they were having favor with all the people. There was a horizontal emphasis. What happened in their being obedient to Jesus Christ did not end at the baptistry steps. They came up out of those the baptistry, out of the water, to live with a new central purpose. And that purpose was to share Jesus with those who were not yet part of the body. You know, we start in Acts chapter 1, and we see Jesus assembling his apostles. He's about to ascend to heaven, and he lays out the pattern for what he wants them to do. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And so we see that it started in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2. 
It spread to Judea and Samaria. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 9, and then it swelled to the uttermost parts of the world, beginning in Acts chapter 10. They were a people who were so transformed by Christ that they had to tell everybody, the people in their lives. And so you began to see the Holy Spirit through Luke laying down various other stakes and and showing us the progress of the gospel. In Acts chapter 4, in verse 4, you see that there were more believers who were added and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. In Acts chapter 5, in verse 14, there were a multitude of believers, both of men and of women. In Acts chapter 6, in verse 7, we see that the word of God was increasing and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And even a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And on and on throughout the book of Acts, you see them so filled with Jesus and so full of love for one another that they wanted others to be a part of it. You know, Hiram and I began to think about this sermon back in November. We began to plan with David as we thought about and presented to the elders what emphasis in 2022, building balanced believers I began to think about, as we thought about this text, Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, but you'll notice that that we didn't wait until 2022. There's been an emphasis that's been ongoing for a while to say, the heart of who we are is to have a heart for Bowling Green and for Warren County. We began praying for opportunities. You know, God opened up the windows, didn't he? In December, through something that we wish that we did not have to go through, that personally impacted Ten of our families here with partial or total loss of their homes. Thankfully, no loss of life among God's people here. But God opened the doors wide open to our communities. And people streamed in and out of our building for two, two and a half weeks. And when we got the opportunity to go out into their homes and into their neighborhoods, we had doors open to us that never would have been opened before. And we got to say, not for our glory, but for God's glory, we at the Lehman Avenue Church of Christ, we love you, we care about you, and we want to help you. And you know, those who were a part of that seem to understand on an ongoing basis, this is a means to an end. And the end is that we want these people in heaven. That God has a home that will never be destroyed. That's the church, Daniel 2, 44, Hebrews 12 and verse 28. And he wants to give us a home that's even greater than that. He describes that for us in 2 Peter 3, verse 11 through 13. That's the home with him, John 14, 1 through 4. What are we going to do to follow up on that? We have the ability to proclaim Jesus like we have never had. We have, we have been able to build capital, goodwill, love and concern in this community. How will we use it? In 2022 and beyond. I also want you to think about the events that we have on the calendar for 2022. Can we not with all of them have but this focus? Whether it's Plum Full Sunday or Vacation Bible School or Trunk or Treat or the Spring Gospel Meeting and the Fall Gospel Meeting or the Sunday after Sunday that we meet together as an opportunity to connect people to Jesus, to proclaim Jesus, which we're trying to do in our everyday lives. The church of the New Testament began that way. They were making an impact in their community so that they had favor with them. Oh, it wasn't going to always be that way. The community's going to turn on them at some point. But those that had honest hearts were like those 3,000 in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. They responded. 
You see, God's put in place for us process. God has at the foundation of that, that we praise Him. And through that praise, we are built in our fellowship together and we participate together in life. And out of that, we unite together in our proclamation of Him. And you notice what we're trying to do in proclaiming Him? We're trying to bring people into the body of Christ so that they can grow and benefit through our worship together, that they can be a part of our lives because we realize that there's always room for more in the body of Christ. And what we're trying to do is to grow those new believers along with those of us who are more seasoned believers to get to the point where we can share Jesus Christ with others. Or as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same uh, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. God's process works. It works today like it did then. Building balanced believers. This morning we're talking about how we do that as a church. Come back tonight we're going to talk about how we can do that as individuals. The best of cars are meant to work the best when they fire on all cylinders. And you think about a car, no matter how good it is, that it will lose efficiency, it will lose power, and if it is not tended to and maintained and cared for, ultimately it's going to do damage to that vehicle. I don't care what that vehicle is. There's a Hennessy Venom GT. And that car is an amazing car in a lot of different ways. It goes from 0 to 60 in 2.5 seconds. It has 1,244 horsepower. It has a top-end speed of 270 miles an hour. And if you have a cool million, it can be yours. That car is amazing. But you know what happens if you don't maintain it? If in the process of time you neglect it, you ignore the needs that it's going to inevitably have as a thing of this earth, Matthew 6, 19 and 20, if you ultimately don't care for it, it's going to fail. When the church is operating on all cylinders, there is no institution that has ever been that can compare with what God has designed His church to be, but we've got to fire on all cylinders. How do we do that? Based upon the Jesus that Hiram so masterfully proclaimed to us, we have got to live lives of praise. And out of that praise, we must participate, do life together as common believers in the Lord. And when we do that, we'll understand our central purpose above all else is to give others access to the good news. I speak to a church, but it's comprised of individuals. What may be true of the church may not be true yet of you.